Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 44 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So if you've listened to any of the past 40 plus episodes, you know that we have not had any sponsored content and we continue to stand by that, but we will continue to provide education and resources that help you as a soon to be or new or established owner. One question we get way too often is how do I increase my profitability as I prepare to sell? Or all the time from a new buyer, how do I increase the profitability and trim some fat from this practice that I've just inherited and bought? Well, today we're going to have a very special guest, Mr. Brett Pierce, the president of Elite Dental Alliance, an affiliate of Cane Waters, and it's a premier buying club for private practice owners. Welcome to Transition Talk, Brett. Thanks, Christy. Well, as a disappointment to the listeners, my voice isn't nearly as soothing as yours, so I'll try to get through this um, as, as well and eloquently as I can. Basically, Elite Dental Alliance is built specifically for the independent practice to help you guys all get through this tough time understand your expenses, minimize all the costs that you have in the practice that are discretionary or otherwise. And, you know, to do that, we analyze general letters. We do this very scientifically. This isn't just about our opinions on things. We know the prices. We know what people should be paying for things. We've analyzed thousands of ledgers. We've had tens of thousands of discussions with doctors, office managers, operators, and we facilitated over $165 million in purchases just in the last few years. And so we've kind of picked out some of the most common questions and concerns as it pertains to maximizing profitability, which doesn't need to be the only focused on when you're about ready to sell. Whether you're going to sell or not, these are interesting things and useful things to know. Absolutely. And I think it's hot right now because clearly moving past COVID in the middle, trying to save money. But we get this question all the time, especially from new owners who say, hey, like my overhead of this practice I bought is 65% and I know it should be closer to 55, but like, where do I even start? Sometimes the big category is like staff, we can't cut right away. But what I have found is there's all of these pieces in between, you know, credit card processing, et cetera, all these little categories that you can kind of trim a little bit at a time. So how does your team approach this exercise when you on a new client. Well, really, it's, it's not that much different than kind of what people are doing in their personal lives right now. You are told that you have to be closed for three months. Mm-hmm. Okay, kind of the natural reaction. Well, hopefully one of the reactions would be, well, where are some places where I can <laughs> save or stop yeah. spending money? Um, so all those exercises that you've done on a personal level, you're trying to understand what you actually are spending money on. Yep. That's no different than in the dental practice. And so you know, we talk about reviewing the general ledger. The general ledger, for those of you who don't know, is basically just an itemized list of all the things that you spent that you ran through the practice. This is equivalent to probably your credit card statement or your bank statement on the, on the personal side. Or if you're super gray hair, your checkbook ledger. <clears throat> if you have a checkbook, don't ask me for advice on how to balance it. I don't even know what that means, really. But we can analyze the heck out of your expenses. So you take a look at that general ledger and you ju- just take a look at it. Whether you have time now because you're down or you just need to make time understanding what you're spending. It's not just a fancy tool that accountants use to evaluate your practice. It's something that's meant to be used in your life and at your practice to understand where you're spending money. And and one of the places that comes up most frequently is when you have these subscriptions. You have all these subscriptions that the practices subscribe to, you're subscribed to. I know for me, you know, I lost my credit card like five years ago and I had to get a new one. 
and I saw that I had a Sirius XM charge for $9.99 a year or something on there, and I hadn't had that machine in 10 years. So, yeah, you know, I'm not condoning painful. I'm not condoning losing credit cards, but it might not be the worst <laughs> idea to, if you're not going to review your credit card statements ever, lose your credit card or cut your credit card in half every two years and get a new one or something. So these subscription things, I, I kind of ingest, I mentioned that, but... There are so many subscriptions that the practices sign up for and that they utilize, and a lot of them are necessary now. All these new technologies, all these new things that we're asking people to utilize, they add up pretty quickly, and sometimes we don't even know what they are. Yeah, I did this recently, too, and was like, Chris, what is this nine ninety nine? <laughs> and I also found out I had been paying for ABC Mouse, this like kid app thing, because Dude. you get a free trial and then they just start charging you. It had been like six ninety nine for. I mean, I'm embarrassed by how many months I've been paying six ninety nine. <laughs> I don't even know how to log into the thing. So I get this. What are some categories you typically see, like when your clients go through this exercise? Like, what are the common categories that have those like recurring fees that that can be a problem? Yeah, children's apps do come up. A lot because <laughs> if you give your kid your phone, he can push buttons yes. and keep buying stuff, and you never Our really know. Children, um, not. I'm pretty sure it's by design. Yeah, but you know. Anyway, so similar though, software. Software is by far the number one, and by software, I mean all kinds of different things. So, so now you're getting, hey, do you have patient reminders? Do you have two-way texting? What is this? What is that? Do you have a teledentistry subscription? Do you have what, you know, and how many of these things do you actually need? How many of these things are have overlapping services that you're kind of paying for twice? Because the beauty of all these software companies and also the frustration is they start out in one area and they try to kind of do everything. Mm-hmm. So pretty soon, one of the softwares that you subscribe to could be providing all the services you need and the other two are redundant, or there's one little thing that you need in each one, that's for you to kind of figure out, but you're not going to understand what these things are worth to you unless you actually look and see what you are paying. There's kind of this idea in dentistry, it's called this $300 problem, which means everybody has a new software out there. If you were to, back when they used to have dental trade shows, I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if they ever will again, but you'll walk up and down those aisles and you'll see seven out of 10 companies are software companies, Mm -hmm. and they're all about two to three hundred dollars a month and they seem like a good idea at the time and maybe they are but are you using it mm-hmm. do you even know who signed maybe the, maybe the office manager signed up for it maybe we don't know maybe it seemed cool and then that was three days ago and i forgot i even did it but mm-hmm. the, it's still going through so the software is a big one there's a lot of marketing right now being put towards technology and there's a lot of cool sounding ideas and they are but if you don't implement them they're not worth anything i mean i think i emailed you about this the other day i mean there's software out there and data is only good as the data you put in it and so it doesn't really matter what functionality it has or how great it is if you're not using it and so i think it's important too as you go through these software charges and all the various services you have figuring out what am i actually using and what am i not using what am i never going to use and so it doesn't matter if it has this flexibility. If I'm never going to use it, why am I paying the extra premium for it? So that's a great point. What else? Kind of in the subscriptions category is auto shipments of supplies. There's a lot of, you know, if you're buying everything through like one primary distributor, typically the rep's going to help you handle that. But a lot of cases we're buying stuff from online companies or just kind of like little niche companies. And we, we get set up on auto ship for good reason. Or, mm-hmm. you know, your patient flow and your usage are pretty common. We actually recommend auto ships on a lot of different things based on the numbers that we see. But obviously if you're not working or if you're closed or if you're expecting to see 60 to 70% of production, mm-hmm. you probably don't need to be buying 100% on all these auto ships. Mm-hmm. So 
that's a really big one, you know, whether it's gloves, impression material, you know, wine of the month or whatever, whatever <laughs> it is, you know, if you're not using it or if you're not mm-hmm. drinking it, don't buy it. Yeah. And I think having whatever staff member you've put in charge of ordering, being on the same page with them about what are we ordering yes. and where, how, you know, what does that look like? I've talked to a lot of buyers or sellers who have said, yeah, supplies kind of get out of control. So-and-so was handling it. I wasn't paying attention. So clearly a big area that if you're on top of it, hopefully we'll be in line. What else? Yeah. So, you know, and the underlying theme to your point, Christy, is communication with all this Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and I know a lot of people listening to this may not be the ones facilitating all of the purchases. And I'm not saying that you should, but at the end of the day, it is your money Mm -hmm. and it is your profitability. It is the P&L that we are going to look at you know, when you're evaluating the value of the business. So obviously an easy one is your cable and your kind of office technology, kind of mm-hmm. your, your patient-facing stuff. You know, defer all that stuff or negotiate a better price. I mean, we've all seen the movie, hey, DirecTV, I'm tired of your service, the internet goes out, I'm going to whoever your competitor is. And they say, wait, 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 hold on. And then they give you six months for free and this, that, and the other thing. So that's a very common thing, especially with the coronavirus stuff that's happening now. Make that phone call. It'll take you 15 minutes. I promise you, you're going to save some money on that if you do it the right way. Credit card processing fees, all this is real sexy stuff, right? So credit card processing fees, this is a huge, huge deal. And it's a huge mistake made by a lot of practices in just assuming that their guy is giving them the best rate. This is probably, you know, we did a really good webinar on this, on credit card processing and like what you should be paying, how it actually works. You know, the secret here, guys, is no matter if it's your brother, your cousin, the biggest credit card processing company in the world, they all get charged the same from MasterCard, American Express, Visa. They all have the same fees that they pay. So what they charge you is just how much margin they need to make based on what their overhead is or their mm-hmm. their appetite for profit or whatever it is. And everybody's going to say, give me those invoices, we'll beat it. Give me those invoices, we'll beat it. And a lot of times they will, but they will do it at no margin or sometimes under cost. And they ain't gonna do that forever. I don't yeah. know if you guys have ever worked on commission, but if anyone's ever worked on commission, working for zero commission doesn't last very long. No. And so we have a setup where we know what the rate is, and if it's too far below a certain number, it's not gonna. It's, not it's just gonna, not gonna last. Not gonna so they're, last. they're working for free. And then kind of one of the final big ones is equipment. And you know, equipment seems like a weird thing to bring up in subscriptions, but are you still paying notes on things that you don't use or that you don't need? Do you not even know what that cone beam is used for or whatever piece of equipment? Or are you just paying these notes on things that you know you don't need? Put those things up for sale. People are looking for bargains on equipment right now. If you have a piece of equipment that you don't need and that you're not using, somebody probably wants that and somebody probably doesn't want to buy a new one and pay the premium right now. Or if you've just bought a practice that has equipment in it that you're not going to use because there's Boy. those aren't procedures, but you need other things, right? I've seen heard a lot of buyers say, oh, I don't think I'm going to use it, but I'll just keep it. Well... Yeah. Think about all the other costs that are associated. Are there warranties and service? If you're going to have something, I like that idea mm-hmm. of just doing a flip. Yeah. So, yeah, buying, selling new, old, I mean, analyzing if you're going to use those things. Because a lot of these, like you said, a lot of these pieces of equipment have fees attached to them and mm-hmm. service fees. And, and if it's in your office, you're paying the fees sometimes. And so you'll also find that in your general ledger somewhere. So understanding what does this piece of equipment actually cost me? Am I paying a note on it? And what's the financing mm-hmm. situation that I have set up with this? Am I paying 12% interest on this thing because I was asleep when I signed the contract or whatever? Then that's something to look at too. And then in forward thinking on kind of negotiating equipment that you will need, this is not a terrible time 
If you have the cash, if your financial advisor says it's okay, I have no reason to give advice on your financial situations, but if your financial advisor says you can afford it, it's not a terrible time to invest in the practice and make it more profitable, make it more productive. This is a pretty good time to do something. Yeah, and figure out ways to make it more efficient because there are certain cost categories you may not be able to do that in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there are definitely some that at least on our side we see waste in or maybe waste is the wrong word, but expense without any benefit, marketing. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a big one that I always feel like to a certain extent is always discretionary. If you aren't tracking how many new patients you're getting for the dollars you're spending and you don't know if it's working, you are basically just throwing money out the window. Is this an area that you guys look at and kind of what are some opportunities in this area? It is not even close that this is the most abused category in the dental space right now. And by abused, I mean there's a lot of cool-sounding ideas and cool-sounding companies with cool names and cool websites, and there's a lot of expense being thrown at these things mm-hmm. without really any you know, understanding of what it's actually getting me. Typically, you know, there are a variety of different reasons you spend money in marketing. Some people want a pretty website because they want a pretty website because they just mm-hmm. want to have a pretty website and tell people they have a pretty website, and that's fine. But I would want a pretty website because a pretty website generates something right. for me. Or this marketing campaign, you know, I'm sending out mailers. Well, do three quarters of the people that you're sending the mailer to, do you even want them as patients? Mm -hmm. Can they even afford you as patients? I mean, like there's all kinds of information and ways to do that. And then the technological marketing with the social media management, the search engine optimization, there's all these buzzwords that you're supposed to understand. And a lot of time, these marketing people, and look, this is going to come off a little bit negative towards marketing companies, but most of them deserve it. They use these words to tell you that, oh, well, your neighbor's doing this, and this guy's doing this, and this guy's doing this, so you should probably do it. And there's a lot of people throwing around terms like SEO that don't really even know what that means or what and that they does. No, we don't know what it means. I mean, I will be yes. 100%. There's so much like on the back end of like how the formula works. Yeah. And they use your, I guess, ignorance about those topics to be like, well, you need to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, especially I'm sure colleagues are like, are you doing SEO? No, I'm not doing SEO. Should I be doing SEO? How how embarrassing for Um, you. But (laughs) SEO is very expensive and can come with a really high cost. So Mm -hmm. how do they navigate that? All you guys need to do is understand that marketing is not this fluffy, silver-tongued industry anymore. It is about data and analytics. Marketing companies that can't provide you data and analytics on how their stuff is performing are not marketing companies, in my opinion. And there's no way to validate, well, you know, it looks nice, and, you know, how much did I get from this ad or whatever, and if they don't know that answer, well, you have some questions for them on, like, how they're spending your money also. And so just understand, it's like some people can write really good content, some people can do this, some people are really good at websites, some people make it really about the, the user experience and acquiring patience for the practices that are trying to grow and are trying to add to the bottom line and because they're new or because they're trying to sell. This is all about patient acquisition and mm-hmm. messaging. And right now, and we're getting this a little bit later, but right now, this is a really important time to understand what is your marketing messaging saying? Mm-hmm. And what is the vision of your practice? If you just took over a practice, it doesn't have to be what it was before. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting ready to sell, you need to get as many patients through the door as possible to get that message out. And so, under, But you got to understand what you're spending. And I'm not going to get into all the different nuance mm-hmm. here, but 
if you say, yeah, this is costing me $6,000 a month and I don't really know what it's getting, that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. You know, a little quick math, $72,000 a year. I bet you if I asked you for $72,000 a year, you'd ask me what I'm giving you. Yeah. But since I'm asking for $6,000 a month, maybe you're not. Well, and for seven, I mean, if you think about that, you could hire someone to do all of your marketing. You'd hire a body. But what is important, I think, too, is that you coach your front desk to say, how did you hear about us? And that you're tracking that as well. Because there are, I mean, there are some things, right? Someone finds you because they have good ranking on Google and they call and make an appointment. Unless you've asked, like, how did you find me? Did you look at me? Was it Google reviews? Did you find my website? Again, I think the data and the company, I totally agree with you. I think the company that you hire should be able to give you pointers and say, this is how you're going to track this. This is a phone number that you're going to be able to track the leads, you know, yada, yada. But it's really important to do that. It's hard. It's hard, though. This is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And we, we make it our job to, like, figure out who the best vendors are in every space. And this was... I mean, we have basically two digital marketing companies that we work with. And I've probably heard 400 to 500 pitches for the same stuff. Oh, my gosh. And most of the time, it's a fully customized solution. And I'll tell you about what the price is later. And I'm like, okay, well, and maybe it is. And I'm not saying all, all those are bad, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of hard. If I don't know, you know, if I have a hard time discerning the differences between good and bad marketing companies, and we have teams of people that research this all day, I can only imagine what it's like when you're walking up and down the halls of a, of a trade show and you're getting kind of pitched mm-hmm. this latest, newest thing. And, you know, hey, do you know what SEO is? No, well, SEO doesn't make sense anymore. It's SEM now. You're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, so, um, well, and I think for new buyers, too, you know, I think you have to have a website. I mean, like not having oh. a website is not an option. Oh. You have to show up, but it doesn't have to be. I think websites used to be so expensive to build and there are so many solutions that can get you a good looking website. If you don't have a ton of cash to put out to marketing, you can look put together with some of these companies. So, OK, that's a good one. A lot of questions about that all the time. You have to have marketing. Let me just put that out there. But it is a little more discretionary in how much cash you have to spend on that. What about some of the more direct costs that people think, like, I can't really save money here? So, like, staff, lab, supplies, specialty products, like, those types of things that you have to have to do the production. The big expenses, you know, certainly in, in the GP practices, lab and supplies constitute a, a significant portion yeah. of kind of like that, those expenses. and. They're also kind of the most sensitive. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants, like, a lot of the practices that we deal with are relatively successful, which means they make some good money in their lab work and their crown and bridge, and so they like, they like the lab. And, you know, our job is not necessarily to tell you that this lab is good or this lab is bad. It's just to kind of provide you with options. And so a lot of people pay for comfortability and what they're used to. I will tell you right now that there are some limits that you should be paying for dental lab. And... A lot of the good big companies kind of use the same software to, to make the crowns. Obviously, if you have a personalized tech to your situation, they're going to know you a little bit better. You like it to fit tighter. You like it to fit looser, whatever the case may be, your margin preference is. They're going to know that a little bit ahead of time. But at the end of the day, guys, like they're all making it using scans, especially if you're scanning now. The, the crown should be very, very accurate based on the scan or the impression you gave them. If you gave them a bad impression and they're just used to your bad impression and they make up for it, that's a different situation. But realistically, if you're if you're paying like more than $100 for a posterior crown, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying there's an opportunity there to kind of mm-hmm. minimize cost. And I have tons of great options on all these things. I've looked at, again, as many pitches I've heard for marketing, I've probably heard more for lab. And this one's a little harder as a non-clinical kind of guy over here. 
And I'm, I'm very sensitive to say, like, you know, we have a lot of people who really like their labs. And yep. I'm not sitting here telling you you should switch, but you need to look at it. And the lab space is actually a weird place right now because most of those smaller labs are kind of going away. Mm-hmm. It's, consolidated, it's consolidated even faster than the dental practice space is. Just because there's not a ton of margin. It's such a labor-intensive deal. So, And again, cost does not determine quality in lab. There's a lot of expensive junk out there. Mm-hmm. And there's some really good value and great products out there as well. Um, but, you know, if you're looking down, you're like, every cra- I'm paying $379 for every crown posteriors, anteriors, everything, you might want to just take a look at it. And I'm yeah. sure they fit. You just drop them in there and you can throw them across the room and they fit right on top of that thing. And that's <laughs> great. But if you're doing a lot of crowns, that adds up. Yeah. And I think, again, I'm with you. I feel like I talk to sellers who have really high lab bills and they're like, I just like it. It's mine. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Good. As long as you're educated Absolutely. and you've looked at it and you made that choice, that's what you can do as an owner. But it's the people who haven't looked at it or are just continuing yeah. to do the same thing over time because that's what they've always done. And maybe they aren't as happy as they could be with the quality. That's just what they know. So I agree. What about supplies? So, supplies are the same, are in a similar boat. They're not quite as close to the heart as lab probably mm-hmm. is. And for those non-GPs on here, we'll get to your stuff in a second. But, you know, a lot of you guys love your reps. And I think a good rep is very, very valuable. There's a lot of online sources to buy products and services, but if you have a good rep and you're getting a fair price and the mm-hmm. rep's actually helping you manage your order and you're managing your practice, I think it's a valuable asset. If it's a bad rep, but you go fishing with him three times a year and you know he invites you guys over for dinner, but it's a bad rep and he's not helping you, he's not giving you a good price, that might be something to look at. Mm-hmm. Might not be a fun conversation, but that kind of happens a lot too, and I and it's fine. Like comfortability and if that guy always answers the phone every time you call and you're first on his list, but you can get three percent cheaper somewhere else, I wouldn't switch. Yeah. I would not switch. It's, it's too much. Or maybe work. it's just a conversation. If you're that close with the person, like, hey, like, love you, buddy, but this is a lot of money. Like, can we work out something different? We have a lot of customers that show up that have been paying full price for my good buddy to use their rep, you know? And I don't think anybody should necessarily be paying full price right now unless it's a special situation. Again, it's something to look at. If it's significantly higher than... I don't know if you're if you're in like the seven and eight percent of collections range on supplies, it's probably worth looking at. Yeah. Assuming you're not putting like your house payment and supplies and <laughs> you know your rent. No one does that, Brett. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What about our specialty practices? So for the specialists, it goes back to kind of like the the really intimate decisions on mm-hmm. orthodontics with brackets and wires. You know, for the implant placing professions, it's obviously the the implants and the endo files for the endodontist and things like that. And there are huge variances in cost based on brand in these situations. And everybody knows it. And sometimes the procedure cost is so much that the variance in the material cost wouldn't necessarily make a huge deal. But again, I'm not going to have a debate uh, with each doctor about the validity of each brand and on the clinical success. That's completely out of bounds for me Mm -hmm. to even go into that. All I do is I show people what are the options. If you switch from this implant company to this implant company, I mean, yesterday we had a conversation. You Switching implants would save somebody $175,000 a year, okay? But it's not my decision to tell them if it, it might be clinically different for them or the referring doctors, you know, like the particular implant that I'm going with mm-hmm. or this is the only one that ever works for anybody and everything else is malpractice. That's fine. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at it in terms of dollars, that's all we can really do. Like, if you really want to lean out that practice to sell it to a corporate buyer or somebody, mm-hmm. it's probably a good move because they're probably going to do that to you after you sell it to them anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Brackets and wires are kind of the same way. There's a lot of cost savings there. Mm-hmm. Endo files, everything. So 
Does the name brand that's super expensive outperform the other options? Maybe, probably. Probably depends on if you want it to or not. Mm-hmm. And the name brands are great. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of great companies that sell all of these things. And the technology is, they've all kind of caught up. And all you want to know, like I would want to know, what is this decision worth to me? Mm-hmm. You know, like I always like, you know, Titleist golf balls or whatever it is. Well, if you switch to Calloway, it'd be, it'd be worth this. And so now I have to make a decision like, okay, well, Titleist are about 40 bucks a dozen. These Callaway ones about 25. Is it worth $15? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but at least I know what my options are. Yeah. And it kind of makes you think, well, okay, that's $175,000 a year. That's, you know, I can go buy a Lamborghini and crash it in the lake every year and leave it there <laughs> or whatever. Or, or you can have, you know, an eight-year education somewhere for one of your children. Whatever you want to do with it. It's not really my decision, but, you know, hey, it's just your Just here to provide the education. I'm just waiting for someone to walk up to me and offer me $175,000 in savings. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> one day, Brett. Just keep talking. <laughs> right. Okay, so we've kind of covered this a little bit in the beginning, but I want to go back to it one more time because it's something that almost every new buyer of an old practice talks to me about some of our buyers buy these old dinosaur practices and they're not computerized and they're not digital or maybe they're paper files or they just don't have the technology that the buyer wants and so they want to update it what is your advice for that new buyer who's just taken on a practice and is going to be making some updates like what would you tell them yeah My advice there is get what you want from the beginning if you know what you're talking about. Because I have seen so many practices that are held hostage by an antiquated practice management software Mm -hmm. or antiquated, you know, thoughts and opinions of existing staff or or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's all it's all kind of the same thing. And so it's going to be a painful situation. No matter what. You know, and you know, I say do it right away, but like yeah, obviously you gotta take the temperature of the staff when you Mm kinda move in. Nobody really wants somebody, some kid to come in and and kick Mm -hmm. everything out. But as soon as it's appropriate, I think you need to get what you want as a practice management software. And then, you know, it's going to be a lot of work for a few months, but then like three years from now, everybody's going to forget about it anyway. Mm -hmm. It is a huge process. Sometimes when people go into new practices, this is, there should be a good labor force available right now, but sometimes when people go into new practices... Changing the practice management software shows you a little bit about your staff. Yeah. You know, some people are going to be jumping out the windows. Some people are going to be They're going to thrive and, and, to implement. Yeah. Yeah. and then from a cost perspective, these costs range all over the place because Henry Schein owns Dentrix. Patterson works with EagleSoft. So sometimes they have exchange programs for supplies to offset the software costs. And then sometimes I see six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month charges on practice management software. And so understand if that's actually worth it to you. We went in and tried to solve for this problem. And every time we did the analysis, it pointed back to Open Dental. Open Dental is an open open source platform. Open Dental does everything that any of these other softwares do. And our deal is less than 150 bucks a month. Wow. So if you're paying, I don't know what you're paying, but if you're paying 600 bucks a month, I can save you $450 a month. That ends up being, whatever that is, $5,400 a year. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty easy way to do it. I say easy. It is going to require a lot of work, but you know, does it have all these things you need? Some of these practice management softwares have patient reminders. Two-way texting. Open mm-hmm. down does. That means you can remove one of those other services that you're right. currently paying for. Um, maybe it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that you want, and that's for you to understand. And if you don't feel like taking the time to understand if it has the bells and whistles or not, you're probably doing yourself a disservice or at least assign it to somebody. Yeah, so kind of all of that stuff, There's, it's a hassle, but it'll be worth some money on the practice management software side. And then understanding two-way texting, online scheduling is absolutely critical moving forward. Yeah. And that's not typically that hard to do. You know, there are some softwares out there that do that. And we work with a variety of them. We've been kind of hot on the trail for the, that kind of stuff. And, 
you know, that implies that the patients are able to book their own appointments, which means they have some level of access to the schedule. Mm-hmm. So a lot of doctors that I talk to get kind of freaked out. Oh, wow, they're going to book here and book here. They're going to mess it all up. Almost every one of these online scheduling tools that is worth anything, they have a little a sandbox that the patient can play inside. So, like, these are the available appointments for this type of patient. So, gotcha. to get over that fear, they can schedule online, immediately enact that impulse that they have. I need, I need treatment tomorrow. Let me just click a button so I don't have to have a late-night phone call with somebody. And if they do, you're getting a lot of calls that you're missing. Think about an answering service. Think about having an answering service that you know, does the things that you want it to do, a live voice that says, hey, this is what's happening in the practice today. This is how you sign up for an appointment. And then what about um, with all everything that's been going on, clearly like teledentistry is a big thing that we've heard about. Mm -hmm. What has been your experience in this kind of realm with the world changing as it is? Well, I get a lot of opinions on teledentistry from my doctors, and some of them think it's like teledoc, where you just Mm -hmm. call and they give you a prescription. Teledentistry and dental doesn't mean that. It means... Um, that we're, we're able to do virtual appointments. We're able to schedule people virtually. We're able to do Zoom or Web or FaceTime, mm-hmm. have conversations with, with the patients like that without them having to necessarily come in, come into the practice. Hugely important right now. Mm-hmm. It will never, never replace in-person dentistry. And I think if that's your goal, you're going to, you're going to struggle we'll getting lose. new patients. Yeah. You're not going to develop the relationship that, that you kind of wanted to. But teledentistry is huge, and it means a lot of things. We actually just created an ebook about, you know, like a virtual check-in, check-out process, which mm-hmm. is all part of teledentistry. And so, you know, a lot of people now, waiting rooms may be a thing of the past for a lot of practices. And it makes all the sense in the world. I'll sit in my car, you text me when I'm ready, and I'll come in. I just did this with my daughter. She, like, hit her front tooth, and it was turning gray. <laughs> so I had to call... And I went and texted her name to a number, and then when they were ready for me to come in, they came in, they texted me, ready for bread, walked her to mm-hmm. the door, went straight to the chair, and like how easy it was compared to sitting in the waiting room and trying to corral her forever, yeah. or like, again, in this world we're living in, being exposed to all that. So, okay, so that's helpful. That's huge. Set up online appointments. You do paperless forms. Mm-hmm. You're going to do the, the virtual waiting rooms. And, you know, we're actually looking into things now that can take people's temperatures really quick before they come into the, the office. Well, while, and while temperature isn't the only like, qualifying right. characteristic here, if you have 105 degree temperature, you probably shouldn't be there anyway, whether you have coronavirus 100%. or you don't have it, right? yeah. Um, and again, some of these things are marketing plays here. So if I have two-way texting, online scheduling, temperature checking devices, mm-hmm. but nobody knows about it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And this is a time where you can win patients because if dentistry was becoming commoditized to the patients, whether that every dentist is kind of the same, now is a really good opportunity to break that mold and say, hey, these are the things that we're doing to protect our patients. We yeah. are on top of this. Look at how much we're investing in the practice. We have barriers. We have this. We have that. We're making sure that you're safe and you can stay in your car as long as possible. That makes people feel good. I mean, like mm-hmm. as a mom, it probably made you feel good to know that that process existed and they were thinking about it. And you know what? The practices that don't have that will lose patients to the practices that do. Yeah. This is about cutting costs, but like you need to add costs in the right places. It's just a different landscape than it was. I'm telling you, if you put in barriers or if you do this, if you do that, you can't keep it a secret. Yeah. Well, and I think also like cutting costs in these other areas allows you to invest in the other areas while maintaining some level of profitability and kind of keeping up to the standards. You know, one more thought from my perspective on this technology piece, I think it's important to kind of look at it holistically and like 
pull back and say, okay, what do I want? Right. Because I feel like instead of making piecemeal decisions, which is how we get on these auto subscriptions for all these various services we don't need. What is my like ideal technology world look like planning it out if you're a new practice owner and then figuring out how to attack it in the right order from an economical standpoint, right? Like maybe you can do the software first, right? And do that really painful transition. And it has three of the five things you want and you can live right and change system because I do think when you're buying a new practice you do need to live in that practice for three or four months get the staff's buy-in get their thought figure out how the practice works who's going to be on board who's not you're going to waste a lot of money if you don't and you're going to have a lot of heartache and a lot of tears because we cry a lot you're going to get a lot Um, of opinions from the existing staff yeah yeah and at the end of the day it's your decision it's your money and so I just think being very cautious about that okay there's one more topic I wanted to cover here that we are here hearing a lot about and that's cybersecurity. Clearly this is an area I feel like is not somewhere where you're probably like leaning out, but probably somewhere you could either waste a lot of money or spend money smartly. What does that look like from your perspective? Yeah, it kind of goes into that holistic approach that you were mentioning towards technology and a holistic approach comes with a plan. That means you have to have a plan. So we are doing this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and we have these certain features that we need. Who is in charge like one person needs to kind of be like the technology person. That doesn't mean just the youngest person in the office necessarily. <laughs> you know, who's paying the bills? Who's paying attention to all these things? Do we have redundant solutions and redundant processes or do we have just what we need? And so when you're thinking about it holistically, cybersecurity comes into this. And this isn't meant to like scare everybody, but cyber crimes are spiking through mm-hmm. the roof right mm-hmm. now. All these different technological things that we talked about and all of them that are integrated with your practice management software, you know, that's just additional access points for bad guys to do bad things. And cyber attacks are not just reserved for large companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's ransomware. I mean, you guys have all probably heard of the ransomware. That is still happening. Let me lay in a little secret. If you get ransomware, it can't be decrypted right now. Like if somebody if somebody gets a hold of your stuff and, and has it under a ransom, you can't decrypt it. We have a great partner on the cyber crime stuff and he's like FBI CSI, CSI, maybe certainly CSI couldn't do it. The CIA, the CIA Paw Patrol, none of these people can um, can uh, decrypt the ransomware. And so the point of this is cybersecurity is not your IT company. Cybersecurity is not your Norton antivirus. Okay, cybersecurity is an entirely different category of protection that the practice needs. And I will tell you, if you are reactive to a problem, to a cyber breach, it will cost you tons of money. Mm-hmm. If you are proactive, it will cost you a little bit of money. Yeah. And not only money, but potentially patients and kind of having to disclose that. I mean, yeah. like there could be a huge, huge if, fallout from that perspective. If your too. patient information gets out, you probably can't buy your way out of it. You'll probably have to open up a different practice or yeah. not practice at all. Yeah. And all of these things are now integrated into the patient information. So you know, we partner with uh, Cyber Defense Labs. It is just chock full of FBI and CIA. I don't think there's any CSIs in there. <laughs> but um, it's just chock full of those guys. And, and the stories they have are frightening. And, you know, we use them to, for our cybersecurity as well. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like you just kind of want to put your head under the covers for administrative stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a new owner or any owner, like I don't want to do administrative. It's overwhelming. Non-revenue yeah. generating administrative stuff. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. You know, I want to produce. I want to worry about this. But these are things, I mean, like ours is like six, 7000 bucks a year. 
you are protected by the experts in the whole mm-hmm. field. I mean, like, what difference does it make? Mm-hmm. You know, and if it and if something did happen, so one of the things I'm getting off a little tangent here, but one of the things that has come up in the marketplace now is like cybersecurity insurance. So mm-hmm. if you do get a breach, you know, the insurance companies will help you pay for it. Well, what's happening now is insurance companies are like, you know what, you didn't take the necessary protocols yep. to protect yourself, so we're not paying you anything. So, okay, so true to form, insurance companies are are typically smarter than most of us Mm -hmm. in terms of analyzing risk. But if you can show them that you are doing things to prevent that, and if you're with Cyber Defense Labs or whomever, and you're Mm -hmm. actually thinking about it, you're going to get paid. Yeah. Or a much higher likelihood that you'll get paid. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a lot. Clearly, I mean, I know this. I see this in practices when I look at them from a selling and buying perspective. And I know there's a lot of opportunity here, but there's a lot of areas here to cover. And I've learned a ton today. I know that's why you guys, I know it was the nexus of the creation of EDA and why you guys do such a great service for all your clients. What if someone is listening and says, Hey, I know there's opportunity. I know I'm overspending. I don't know where to start. What do they do? Yeah, you just go to our website, EliteDentalAlliance.com. There's a bunch of contact forms on there. There's information about the company and what it does and how we help. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff. And the longer that we get into this, you know, the more stuff that we find. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot to understand. I don't expect anybody to understand all of this stuff or to do it all perfectly. That we just kind of go through it one step at a time. Because just what we talked about today is a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's all money, man. It is all money. And if you're, say you're selling your practice, you're going to get a multiple of EBITDA. Like every dollar you save. Mm Mm-hmm is going to be multiplied by Hopefully that number. a dollar back in your pocket. Well, I love what you guys do. Clearly, it helps if you're wanting to sell to a corporate buyer, but I love, too, that you guys are helping kind of that private buyer set gain okay. some of these efficiencies that the bigger corporate groups are getting because of their size. Mm-hmm. And so I love what you're doing at EDA for that. Do you mind if I share your website on our podcast summary here for our see, fine listeners? Maybe I'll need to understand who the listeners are. I don't want to hear <laughs> yeah, Of course, of, of course, of course. We'll help you either way. Awesome. Well, I I just loved having you today, Mm, Brett. I'm sure you did. Maybe you should come back another time. (laughs) Maybe I will. Relatively (laughs) soon, maybe. All right. Well, we'll give Charles a break for now. Well, um, Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much. Remember... Transition Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week. Until next time, friends. 